in a comic shop, and we all love comics and Star Wars and all of the things. So. Okay, yeah. um, I'm actually pulling up your uh, the the Google outline Great. real quick. Yeah, and and it's always like we tell all of our guests. These are very much like just guidelines. We can go wherever the conversation takes us. Um, we use the chat window in the uh, uh, Hangout to kind of like produce the show behind the scenes. So if there's anything you want to say, or we often try to make each other laugh while someone's yeah. talking. By producing <laughs> the show, JR mostly means we make mean comments about each other. Yeah. Oh, okay, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> Leia, too. Yeah. Feel feel free to just say whatever. Like you, you can be relaxed here. If you say something that you were later, you go, "Oh gosh, I probably shouldn't have said that," or "That's not how I meant to say it." Our, our producer can edit that out. So just say so. Just say like, "Ah, that whole last speech, take it out. I don't want it." Uh, yeah, just scrap the entire episode. It's just bad. <laughs> right, we've done that before, <laughs> on accident because we yeah. like oh, no. messed up our audio. <laughs> All right, um, audio-wise, can you guys hear me? Okay, like I have a couple of other mics too. Yeah, so. You sound yeah. great. There's like All a right. weird scratchy sound in the background. A scratchy sound. Do you hear that, Matt? I do. Are you um, playing with rosary beads? <laughs> oh, I know what that is. Hold on. It's my hair. <laughs> What's your hair? Yes. Is that better? Yeah, I totally fixed it. <laughs> okay, then let me put it up because that's all it is. Hold on. That's amazing. Matt, so Le- I'm, Leia's so your name one. is Leia. Your last name is Calderon, which sounds a lot like Alderon, and you must have amazing hair. It sounds like there, there's so many similarities. <laughs> she might be gone right now. She might be offended. It might have fallen flat. <laughs> <laughs> What were you going to say, JR? Uh, she's the one that got me into Saints. Oh, yeah, I haven't read that one yet. Okay, we should be all good now. I was, I've been trying to get Matt hooked on Saints. Oh, it's so good. I love Saints. Those guys yeah. are so sweet. I haven't even picked it up yet. So in the sense that he says he's trying to get me hooked, meaning he's trying to get me to read it. Read it. You'll be hooked, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? Uh, maybe I should save this for the show. I was just going to say, I just read Descender, the first trailer. Oh, my God. I love so Descender. So good. Yeah, I it's really It's one of my favorite it. things, yeah. Leia, did you read Wrenchies? Um, You know, I, I looked at it when it came out, and I think I got distracted by something else, but I always meant to go back and read it. Like, I really liked the art. Yeah, I loved Wrenchies a lot. So I was like sending JR text, like, you need to get Wrenchies now. Get Wrenchies. And he got <laughs> it, and he was like, yeah, it was good. And I was like, no, it was amazing. <laughs> was it good? <laughs> no, it's always like different folks, different strokes. Like yeah. everything, I don't know, everything isn't for everybody. It's it's one of the biggest parts of working in comics, I think. Totally. Like I'm always well, devastated when something doesn't work out for somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? But I don't know what it is, but... Uh, it seems like everything I've read that first second has put out, I'm like, at least it was solid. Like, there's not, there hasn't been anything that I was like, well, that was terrible. Oh, that's the, that's really true. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I try to look at everything. Like a lot of independent publishers are coming out with really, really good stuff. Yeah. All right. Are we ready to do this? Let's I do believe this. so. Okay. Um, and Leah, how would you like to be introduced? Um, uh, <laughs> um, I don't have a preference really. Like I'm just a normal ass person, so just this is Leah. <laughs> okay. I don't need any fanfare. I'm pretty chill. <laughs> Did I, I pronounce your last name correctly? Yes, Calderon. Calderon. Okay. Uh, and then, and I'll just say that you run the comic shop that is my comic shop. Yeah, that'll work. Um, okay, cool. And I mean, so at the end of the show, too, we'll, like, ask you where you want people to connect with you online. So you can talk about your blog. Um, do you tweet or have, a like, a public Facebook page or any of that? Um, I don't do public Facebook just because um, it definitely got creepy really quickly. Yeah. So, oh, no. <laughs> it happens, um, but Twitter is probably the best. It's okay. at Lady Vader. 
Cool. So we'll just we'll I'll just be like, Leo, if people want to connect with you, where and then just here's my blog, here's my Twitter, you know, and then we'll put all the links in the show notes too. But that way, if people okay. are just listening to your car or whatever, they can hear you say it. Um, that would probably work. Excellent. Okay, here we go. Welcome back to the Storyman Podcast. This is episode 113. I am J.R. Foresteros. And I am Matt Michelados. Uh, today we are going to be talking about Marvel's new Netflix series, Jessica Jones, and our third co-host, Clay Morgan, has not even started the show yet. Boo. So because <laughs> we, we needed someone else to talk about this with, we've invited a very special guest to the show. Her name is Leia Calderon, and she runs the comic shop that I... Is, I, I frequent, it is my comic shop. It's where I go to get all of my comics here in Dallas. So, Leia, welcome to the Storyman. Thank you. Uh, one of the things, this, is, this seems a little embarrassing even to even ask you, but one of the, the time-honored traditions we have here on the Storyman when we have a guest on the show is we ask them to display their geek credentials. So, <laughs> I mean, like, you run a comic shop, so that's pretty great, but, like, what, what makes you a geek? Um, you know, I have a an, an interest in virtually everything that's geeky. I'm pretty well-rounded. Like, uh, I play video games. My walls are adorned with comic art, usually limited edition type stuff. Um, I collect Joker commissions from my favorite comic artists. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yes. Let me think what else. Um, 90% of my tattoos are all comic-related, um, and I run a website that's aimed at geek culture, so... I kind of have my hands and everything. I fear that Leia has outgeeked you and I, Jr. Oh, I believe that's entirely true. That's why I wanted her to come on the show. Dang it, that's good. Like I, we were talking comics in the shop one day, and I was like, "Oh yeah, like we had Mark Wade and Gene Yang on one time," and she was like, "Oh cool, I hang out with all of the people that you love every time." I, go. <laughs> I was like, "Oh my gosh, you're amazing." Wait, what's the name of your shop, or is it just the shop that Jr. frequents? Is that what it's called? It's Keith's Comics. Keith's Comics. And yes, they're a, they're I a have Dallas, the best boss. They're a Dallas chain, right? Yes. Or like it's chain, whatever. It's like a there. There's several stores in the Dallas area. Several stores, yes. Yeah. Okay. A total of four. Nice. Wait, Leah, are you going to Portland for the big comic book retailer meeting in what is it, January? Um, actually, I have yet to go to those. Um, most of the ones that I go to are for my website. Like, um, I'm not going to Portland, but I will be going to, to Seattle for Emerald City. Oh, so, cool. Um, yeah, like, usually, like, that kind of retailer thing, that's mostly my boss type stuff, oh, because yeah. I believe it has to do with, like, Comics Pro and stuff like that, and I'm not yeah, familiar yeah. with that stuff quite yet, so, no, that's not my thing. Okay, okay. But, I mean, I, was, I do go to, like, the dealer, like, the, the retailer events and panels that are at the conventions I attend. I always make it a point to go to those. Okay. I was just going to say, because I live in the Portland area, and I know oh, really? one of my friends from California that has a comic shop is coming. So. Very cool. Yeah. So, we never... I was, oh, was going to suggest that I can hang out with you and all your comic-making friends. <laughs> That's, oh yeah, definitely. Well, if, if you're at Emerald City, absolutely. Just um, well, maybe I'll drive. Yeah, me. Yeah, fun. do it. Do the thing. It's gonna be great. So, we we rarely get to talk just like extensively about comics on Storymen. So, um, Clay doesn't read them or watch the TV shows. He reads a oh couple. My. Of them. He does read a couple of them. He's been reading Daredevil lately, but it's like old Daredevil. He only so, he only reads what Jared leaves on the toilet. On the tank. <laughs> Oh, so it's like Frank Miller or Kevin Smith, like for toilet paper? Yeah, that's, <laughs> right. that's exactly right, yeah. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you for that. Uh, no, so I'm, I'm just curious for both of you, because we, you know, you know, we all like to read comics. What are, what are the books that you're, like, the most into right now or the most excited about? Uh, I don't even know where to start, honestly. <laughs> um, I think the one I've been pimping the most in store right now is uh, from Action Labs Entertainment called uh, Tomboy. It, like it's a brand new indie. Like it's like issue two just hit shelves. Like I had to beg my boss to reorder it, which is a rare thing because it's such a small publisher. But uh, I was like, I believe in it. it has to be. <laughs> you have to order it again. Um, <laughs> aside from that, uh, I'm really digging uh, Robin Wars, which just started from DC. Like I'm just, I love everything to do with the Robins, and so this is like a James come true. <laughs> and for Marvel, I am like four weeks behind, so I don't have a. 
of a thing right now. None, um, of, so none of the all new, all different is really like exciting you. Oh no, there are a number of ones that I love. I just haven't gotten to read the second and third issues. Uh, like I liked, I liked Doctor Strange right off the bat. I liked Extraordinary X Men right off the bat. I heard Daredevil was phenomenal, but we sold out, so I didn't get a chance to read it. But um, yeah, like there's there's a couple. Like I liked Miss Marvel and I liked Mighty Thor, where it picked up immediately after the last story. So, um, but I haven't caught up with it, so I can't say that I pimp them. <laughs> I'm surprised Saints did not make your list because that was what you sold me the hardest on. Well, Saints is so good, but like they take forever, and I haven't talked to Sean Lewis in like a while because I wanted him to send me more like little prayer cards. Like, um, I actually meant to give you one because I pimped it to hard of you. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a little like El Sebastian Saints prayers card, and it's like signed by both dudes. So um, remind oh me to give it to you. I'll bring it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. It's, it's pretty cute. But um, yeah. Now, what Saints? about you? What are you, what are you into? Well, I just, when I was in California a couple weeks ago, picked up the first Descender trade, which is great. It's so good. Science fiction uh, comic. And it's, yeah, it's really fun and interesting. I've enjoyed that. I also picked up, um, Leia, you probably know this comic, but I was shocked by it. It's a Mark, uh, how do you say his last name? Is it Miller? M-I-L-L-A-R, that guy? Millar. Yeah. Millar. Millar. He has a comic called, I think it's called Huck. Huck, yeah. yeah. And it's like sweet and nice. Oh my god, it's the most sunshine filled, warm feelings comic so right now. Shocked, because he what? usually writes, you know, these pretty. Yeah, bitter, he kind of like he writes kick ass. It's very dark. It's very gritty. Right. It's very yeah. violent, if anything. So I'm hoping yeah. Huck doesn't go there. But and you know, one, yeah, it's kind of like what if Superman had about the intelligence of Forrest Gump, and he was just this sweet guy that wanted to take care of everyone in his you know, in the world. But mm-hmm. it's stuff like, I try to do something nice every day. Like, he goes out and he mows the lawns of everyone in town. Uh, so it's like this kind of book. And I was like, what What am I reading? Like, I was <laughs> pleasantly surprised. And yeah, I, was, I loved oh, it, too. Yeah. yeah. It was interesting. Uh, well, I'll go a teeny little bit more mainstream, just because I don't feel like I can ever talk about these books enough. But... I love Batman right now still, Mm -hmm. um, ever since Scott Snyder took it over. And the stuff he's doing in the story arc right now is like since Bruce Wayne died and is no longer Batman. And uh, Snyder does really well with those stories. I thought that Black Mirror, when he had Dick in the Cowl, uh, Mm -hmm. was just incredible. And I'm really enjoying Jim Gordon in the the Batsuit. And then also... Gene Yang Superman is so interesting to me right now. Uh, I, I hope we're going to get him back on the show to talk about it, but he's he's basically doing Superman through the lens of immigration and treating him as you know an immigrant, which of course he is, right? But the way everything he's doing with him is just so unlike any Superman story I've ever read, and I it's hard. Superman is one of those characters that I just don't care that much about, and so. I really am enjoying what Gene is doing with him. Well, one, I just want to say that was really mean to say about Superman, but I expect it from a big <laughs> Batman fan. Yeah, I agree with you. I picked up those issues, and I was I was surprised to see that it was a Superman story I hadn't really read before, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think it's it's great. And then, yeah, I just started Saints, and I love it. Um, I, I have issue two of The Goddamned waiting for me, which is like, it's Jason Aaron who's writing Mighty Thor right now and several other books, uh, Doctor Strange, that are so good. But it's it's set like in the pre-flood world. And so it's it's mm-hmm. like a it's sort of like a it, it it's it, it reminds me in some ways of Aronofsky's Noah film, if anyone saw that. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of, except a lot darker. And I don't know, I like biblical stories like that, obviously, and so I'm kind of interested to see what Jason Aaron's does with it. Um, but yeah, that's some of the stuff I'm into. So, okay, I also have one other thing I have to ask before we talk about Jessica Jones. Um, By the time this episode airs, Star Wars Episode Seven will be out in the world. But as of right now, it's not, and none of us has seen it. So I'm... I'm curious. I'm curious what what your guys's level of excitement is because actually I went back and checked recently our very first Storyman episode ever. We discussed the big announcement that Disney had bought Star Wars and was going to be making new Star Wars films. That was like our first episode topic ever. 
Did so, you go back and listen to all the episodes where you said you weren't very excited because the trailer was terrible and probably it would be a horrible movie? Yeah, I actually did, Matt, and so I know that that's not what I said. <laughs> <laughs> I said that the first teaser trailer did not tease me into more excitement than I already felt. I felt <laughs> like it was J.J. Abrams saying, look, guys, see, I know what a Star Wars movie is supposed to feel like, hmm. and I still stand by that. So... When are you guys planning to see it, and how excited are you now that it's nigh upon us? Do you want to go first? Um, yeah, I'm planning to uh, wait even longer because I'm actually really excited, but I showed my kids the uh, the first six movies. Well, I think one of them only made it through five. What, what I mean is she missed episode three. But uh, my middle daughter wants to go for her birthday now, which is December 27th, so I think I'm going to wait till her birthday to go see it. Which, you know, I love my kids. There you go. <laughs> Obviously. But I, am, I know, I, right? I am going to take off my shirt and go as Chewbacca, which she may not enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Leia, what about you? Um, well, as you know, I am named after uh, you know, said princess of the galaxy. So... I can't even describe my levels of hype. Like, right now, I'm just really trying to decide which of my billion Star Wars shirts I want to wear. <laughs> but um, I have tickets to see it tomorrow at 10 with my shop, and then I'm going to see it immediately after at 2 a.m., and then I'm going to see it again <laughs> on Sunday so I can get the limited edition poster as well as the subsequent following three Sundays so I can get the different posters. So, you wow. know, my hype level's pretty high. <laughs> wow. That's fantastic. Fantastic. So you, wait, was that six times you've planned to see it in the next one? Yes, that's the six tickets that I currently have purchased. Um, that's not to include any additional, hey, we're going to go after work and see Star Wars, are you in? Yeah! That's not <laughs> counting any of those at all. So, <laughs> so six that's so awesome. far. So I'm, uh, I have tickets for tomorrow night, and, uh, and then we have like an office Christmas party on Friday night, and the Christmas party is they rented out the theater. Nice. So like watch Star Wars. <laughs> so, uh, Leia. She might be able to go if she doesn't already have a ticket at that time. Hey. <laughs> Keep so, me in line. <laughs> and, and my father-in-law doesn't get to go see, like he, no one else in the family in St. Louis like loves movies like he does, so he doesn't get to go very often. He's a huge Star Wars fan, and he and my mother-in-law are actually going to be getting into town just in time to go to the, the party with us. So oh, nice. he doesn't he doesn't know it yet, and unless he listens to Storyman on the way down, but we're like surprising him with uh, taking him to that film. So yeah, that should be that should be a lot of fun. We're both really excited about it. Uh, I'm trying to keep my expectations moderate because I Lol. want I I don't well no I don't I don't want to be let down. You know. Oh, I totally get that. Absolutely. I, I want I want to be. I want to be pleasantly, not surprised, because if it's great, I won't be surprised, but I, I want to be pleased, I guess. I don't want to come out of the theater going, oh, I mean, you know, that was that was okay, I guess. Like, I remember when I left the theater after episode one, and I was like, gosh, I, I think I'm supposed to be more more excited right now, but I'm just sad, you know, <laughs> and I don't, I don't want to feel that way again. I get hurt a lot, so... <laughs> You know, I feel like if you go see it six times, you'll probably start to feel that it's good, whether it is or not. You know, I, I wish I could say that, but, you know, I've seen the first three, not the first three, um, episode one, two, and three quite a bit, and they only get so good. Like, they peak, and then they start going down, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I think, I don't know, Star Wars is going to be an interesting experience for me. Like, I already know I'm going to burst out sobbing the second the opening music plays and we get a new scroll. Yeah. Like, I'm yeah. going to be the girl that's loudly sobbing in a silent theater. <laughs> but um, at the same time, I'm also going into these movies um, with a little bit of bitterness because I, I was one of those people that read all of the EU books. Oh, so I had, yeah. I had 20 years of, like, expanded universe magic erased on me, so... I'm curious as to what they're going to keep and what they're going to build on going forward, but I'm going to have a little bit of a new hope and, you know. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we really we really today wanted to talk about Jessica Jones, and so I want to I move us into that. 
Um, and I guess we should probably start with S.H.I.E.L.D. and Daredevil, like Marvel on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched, like, the first half of the first season of S.H.I.E.L.D., and it was fine, but it it wasn't, like, compelling enough to keep me watching. Uh, what about you guys? Like, is that a show that either of you are super into? Shield? Yeah. No, I think I gave. I'm. I might have given it two episodes. I don't. I don't recall. But I, it was. Yeah, it didn't do anything for me. And I. I loved what's his face from the movies. I thought he was great. But yeah, the show was super flat and uninteresting to me. So I gave up pretty early. Yeah, same here. I believe I watched. Exactly up to the episode right before they tied it into Thor, which I'm told is where it picked up and became amazing. But, again, I haven't watched it, so I don't know. I've been meaning to pick it up again and just binge it, so I'm waiting for this season to completely end because I love the Inhumans, and if there's Inhuman stuff in it, I have to have it and read it and love it and everything. So um, I will probably binge watch it as soon as the season's over. And I've heard that introducing the Inhumans into the Marvel Cinematic Universe is how they're getting around not owning the rights to X-Men. Right. That's true? That's I mean, that's what they're doing, basically? I mean, there's been no official confirmation, but with a lot of things, in the comics especially, um, like, real quick, I'm not going to try to derail you, but uh, basically when the Terrigan Mist went off, it also sterilized all of the mutants, so they're going to slowly die off. And I don't wow. know if that's to, like, cripple what Fox can do with them or what the dealio is. But, I mean, obviously you guys have probably noticed there's no toys. Right. There's really nothing aside from the, you know, two or three titles they have going on. Um, so I don't know if that's just, like, some sort of tactic to get the property back or not. Yeah, but, that's what I mean, I they can always, like, currently they have, like, Beast trying to work on a cure for the sterilization. But, I mean, they so they have a potential cure in the mix, but... That kind of yeah. happened in House of M, too, right? Didn't they, it like, destroy, they destroyed the mutant population down to some percentage of what it used to be? Um, I think it was right after, I believe, because House of M was, like, an alternate universe where, like, the mutants won and Magneto was king and emperor and all that jazz. Right, right. Um, but, yeah, they, it brought it down to, like, only 198 human, uh, not humans, oh, my God, mutants, <laughs> I believe. <laughs> Yeah, and then, but then that was reversed when uh, after Avengers versus X Men, right? The Phoenix Force like was dispersed. It restored and, some people. I don't know. Yeah. I don't remember exactly why it only restored some people, but yeah, because comic a- because money, <laughs> pretty sure. Um, <laughs> I did fair. notice. So here's the here's the thing that bothers me about the whole Inhumans thing. I understand that they're just trying to like basically create new properties to make money with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of thought the point of the Inhumans originally was they couldn't live among us because their powers, either like Black Bolt, he can't even speak without destroying worlds, you know, or or they had a really obvious thing that made them stand out in a way that they couldn't just blend in. But it seems like all the new Inhumans they're showing, it's like they're basically just mutants. It's like, oh, we have a pretty person who has really cool powers that are going to help them in life. And they're going to feel sad because people think they're an outsider. But really, everyone reading this comic wishes they were one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Um, it, <laughs> I mean, it is. They're like, not really inhuman. Like, they're not like, no, they're, oh, don't let the they're light They're new human. That's what they're called. They're new human. Mm-hmm. Because they weren't born with these powers. They were triggered by the Terrigan Mist instead of, you know, puberty, awakening the X-Gene. But, um... I, I don't would know, totally they're making it... take Terrigan Mist over puberty. No way. <laughs> a lot of them lost their family. Like It's really tragic, the whole thing that happened. <laughs> it's so sad, but I'm a big old baby, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you're sad about losing your family, that makes you a baby. Yeah. So <laughs> I know. Way to show so much emotion on this show all the time. Okay. You're going to so... try Star Wars. You don't want to lose your family, man. I know. How dare I? How do I even live? <laughs> so, uh, I, I felt like Daredevil was, and I, I'm not breaking any new commentary ground in this statement, but like dramatically different tone, not just from S.H.I.E.L.D., but from the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I was really impressed with the first few episodes, how much uh, darker and more... Um, 
even more like reflective and thematic it was. You know, the the movies are pretty light fare as far as themes go, and I felt like Daredevil was doing something really different. And I burned through it, and you know, I think I finished the whole thing in like a week and a half. What what? How did you guys approach that show? Um, for me, and Daredevil belongs in this very special circle of superheroes that nobody cares about, like the Fantastic Four <laughs> and Squadron Supreme. I mean, people disagree with me a lot of time, but that's just personal. Um, so when they did this Daredevil show, I was curious. I'm not going to lie, mainly because the guy they cast is very attractive. So I sat and I watched it. And, you know, just cinematography alone, it blew me out of the water. Like, it was just beautiful to watch. The credits were beautiful. I, I think it's the first show I watched every single credit scene because it was so pretty. Um, but I really, really, really enjoyed, not Daredevil himself, but I really enjoyed what they did with Wilson Fisk out of mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I loved it. Was it was kind of his show, wasn't it? Like, it seemed like by the end, he was by far the most compelling kind of central figure. I agree. I, uh, I've told JR this, and it, he obviously disagrees, and it makes him a little angry, I think. <laughs> I, I fall in the same place. Daredevil has never been a favorite. Like, he's always been... Yeah, he's the one that... If they did a Death of Daredevil thing, I'd be like, oh, okay, well, that was going to happen eventually, poor guy. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, the show I enjoyed, but it wasn't it wasn't like compelling binge watching for me. I would forget about it for like weeks at a time. Oh yeah, I was watching Daredevil. I was on ep- what episode was I on? I don't even remember. So I did finally finish it. I liked it. Uh, I wish it had come out when I was a kid. I probably would have like been so happy that there was anything good about comic books on TV. But um, yeah, no, it wasn't my favorite. I mean, I enjoyed it though. Yeah, nothing like Jessica Jones. I love Jessica Jones. Yeah, I really enjoyed that one. I don't know. I think Daredevil is going to be really compelling when they throw Punisher in the mix, and if we finally yeah, get Bullseye, sure. it's going to be it's going to be really interesting for season yeah, two. Yeah, that could be. Well, and Electra's coming too. Yeah. Oh, I forget about Electra. I always forget about her too. Oh, there we go. <laughs> she goes in that little corner also. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, to be fair, I think it was the the Shatastic movie that did it to them. Like, really, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's so, a whole different discussion. So I had not read the Alias comic before seeing Jessica Jones. The, the exposure I had to her was through Bendis' run on New Avengers. So okay. we should just mention for the people who aren't keeping up with the geekery here, Alias is the comic that Jessica Jones, the TV series, is based on. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's, it has nothing to do with the J.J. Abrams show. Right. No, and, not at all. And uh, the Alias is actually what introduced Jessica Jones into the Marvel comic universe. She's yes. not a character that existed, but the way the story is told, which is dramatically different from the TV show is that she had been a superhero who had been part of the Avengers and then all of the stuff that happens with Kilgrave is sort of what causes her to quit superheroing. Uh, whereas in the show, like there were, it's not like there were a bunch of superheroes, you know, so she couldn't like quit superheroing. Anyway, uh, what was funny to me about the new Avengers run was that she was basically just Luke Cage's wife and the mom to their kid. And so even though I read most of his run on New Avengers, I I was never actually sure if she even had superpowers. Like I was pretty sure she did, but she never used like she never used them. All like all she ever did was take the baby and run away. And so <laughs> I like when when they announced that they were doing a, you know, Jessica Jones as a part of this, you know, lead up to the Defenders, I thought to myself, well, I'm sure it will be good. Because I, you know, Dare, I enjoyed Daredevil a lot, but I'm, I was, I was, I was excited because I was finally gonna learn what her power set was. You know? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, I th- did. Either of you read Alias, or what? You know, what was your, what was your level of familiarity with Jessica Jones coming into the show? Um, you, you can go ahead. No, no, you go, Leah. <laughs> um, Alias was something I had picked up uh, mainly because I was a fan of Bendis' work um, like with the X-Men and stuff like that so I was curious to try out Alias which was um, part of Marvel's Max imprint just meant they could do they could push the boundaries they so could to cuss. speak they could curse they could uh, they could do darker things with the characters so um, from what I understand Jessica uh, Alias was going to be about Jessica Drew who is a uh, Spider-Woman but um, it didn't 
fit her character where Bendis wanted it to go, so he created Jessica Jones. So, um, reading the story, it's, you know, I, I, I actually went and I reread Alias after I finished Jessica Jones, because I was like, man, I wonder how much of this was, like, you know, cut out, and, um, there was a lot, and I almost wish they had waited until after Civil War to do Jessica Jones, just because there's a lot of stuff that they could have put in there, but I guess they need a season two. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Alias is really well written. It has like a lot of uh, a lot of interesting commentary on things. So, I mean, I liked it. I liked it a lot then, and I liked it a lot now. Matt, what about you? Yeah, I uh, I'm pretty similar to yours, Jr. I completely missed Alias, uh, and actually, I think it's when I lived overseas that that was out. And then, yeah, I saw her occasionally in New Avengers when I picked that up, and. I was like, sweet Christmas, Luke Cage got married. I had no idea. Um, and that was that was about it. Like, I just was like, oh, he's married now. I don't know who that is. Um, yeah, so. So uh, what did you guys think of the TV show? Just, like, let's do some general thoughts on just kind of like we did about Daredevil, and then I want to talk specifically about, you know, rape culture and how the show deals with male privilege and all of that kind of stuff. But, but first, just in general, how's the show? Would you recommend it? You know, some of your favorite moments, that kind of stuff. I loved it. <laughs> I thought it was great. Like, from like every every single episode, I was just like, wow, that was really good. Wow, that was really cool. Wow, they're such good friends. <laughs> you know, just like, <laughs> it just hit different notes different times. Like, I'm very, very sure that the casting director cast David Tennant knowing it would pull in butt tons of women to watch this show. <laughs> and then to, like, turn it on its head and you're, like, sitting back, you're like, wow, I can never look at David Tennant the same way. Or, wow, I need to binge watch Doctor Who and get that out of my head. <laughs> but, I mean, overall as a show, um, again, the cinematography was great. Um, I love Kristen Ritter. I've been watching virtually everything that she's been in. I just, I like the way she talks and I like the way she carries herself. So I think she was a great choice for Jessica Drew and Luke Cage. That guy is going to blow us away in his own show. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I love the show. I was amazed that they were talking about, like, they were, that they were actually using the framework of the superhero to build this kind of noir commentary on such important stuff. Um, and, yeah, they went places I was really surprised and actually uncomfortable about sometimes, of course. Um, but, yeah, the casting was great. The acting was super solid. David Tennant was terrifying. Um yeah, and the writing was great. So for me, this was definitely a binge-watch one. Like, I would finish an episode and go, can I squeeze another one in till I got to the end? And I have a couple nitpicky things, but overall, I think it's one of the better superhero things we've seen in a long time. Yeah, you know, the 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 one of the reasons I love superhero stuff so much is because I think more than, more than most other media that our culture uses today, superhero stuff is how we tell stories about ourselves. It's myth-making. Uh, and so when we're, reading, when we're reading the really good superhero stuff, the, the, things, that, the things that make us splash and the, the, the moments that are going to be landmark things in our culture, it's because it's saying something important of, about us, you know? And, and so I remember being transfixed by the second in the end of the second episode of Daredevil because of that one take fight in the hallway which is why most people were right and so i was i was wondering in Jessica Jones okay what like what's going to be in the first couple of episodes what's going to be that thing that like just grabs me and just makes me go oh wow that's amazing and i realized after about 3 episodes it was it was thematically all of the stuff that the show was dealing with. I was like, I can't believe, you know, I see so much with, with Gamergate, with all the other, you know, rape culture conversation that's going on to, to go into such a male-dominated medium like comic book stuff and be able to talk about these things, have a show that passes the Bechtel test like a million times every episode... You know, all this kind of stuff, and it's it's like the best superhero stuff that you can consume right now on movies or television. I was like, wow, this is this is cool. And again, 
you know, it was it was less like action packed than Daredevil. I think like I think if you counted up the number of fights, it would be dramatically less. But it never felt that way. Like it never felt boring or slow. Um, there were so many scenes that were incredibly tense, or uh, you know, and, and, and again, even there was so much stuff I didn't even pick up from comics that were littered in there, like the. Uh, the boyfriend of um, Hellcat is yeah. apparently like the the wannabe Steve Rogers that had the American flag tattoo on his face. Nope. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I didn't even I didn't even realize that I was doing some reading. You know, I was doing some reading, kind of getting ready for the show, and I found one of those like here's here's 500 references to comic stuff you missed in Jessica Jones, and I was like, oh yeah, right, awesome. Like so, it's just it's cool what kind of world they're trying to build up. And, uh, you know, I don't know if they're ever even going to go anywhere with those things, but they've just introduced them into the world so that if, you know, in Jessica Jones season 17 they want to, they can't, you know? <laughs> uh, and I, I think that's really cool. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I obviously, like, I think... I don't. If you asked me to choose between this and Daredevil, I'd probably enjoy Jessica Jones more, uh, but for really different reasons. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm really excited. It's the the first two series are so strong. I'm excited for Luke Cage. I'm really excited for Iron Fist. Um, but I'm I am a little curious how they're going to deal with the uh, cultural appropriation issues that are sort of inherent to that character. Yeah. So uh, yeah, then of course the Defenders stuff. I can't I can't even imagine what 13 episodes of all four of those characters are going to look like. Like that. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, right. So. <laughs> So I'm, I don't know, I'm just, I'm really excited about this, this particular, like, Hell's Kitchen universe that Marvel and Netflix are building. Uh, I'm really excited about it. And I hope that they let Jessica Jones Season 2 get underway. I, there's been a bunch of discussion that, you know, because they're trying to figure out what Defenders is going to look like, that that might get delayed. You know, they've gone ahead with Daredevil Season 2, and I, I really hope that they, they let the director move forward with Season 2. It would, it would be awesome. So... Well, Jessica might not even necessarily be in the Defenders, right? Like, is is that a foregone conclusion that she's in the Defenders? Uh, everything I've heard, yes. Okay. Yeah, same here. Um, but I'm not too sure where she would fit. I guess it just depends. Because I think, if I understand correctly, Luke Cage is going to be half before Jessica Jones and half after Jessica, or oh, during and after. Interesting. Um, and that's how they're going to fit in uh, more of his wife and stuff like that. <laughs> I wondered, um, I wondered if that would be the case. Yeah, and I think and that's that probably the best way to go. Just that way it slowly ties it together a little bit more. Like, Iron Fist, I'm, hope, I'm really, really hoping. I would love to see an Asian Danny Rand. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I feel cool. like that would solve a lot of the issues. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I kind of also hope that he's kind of young. Like, not necessarily a Batman-Robin dynamic with Luke Cage, but something similar. That maybe, like a, maybe like a Bruce and Dick now. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. That was actually something I always loved about uh, Heroes for Hire when it was Luke and Iron Fist together. Like, I did feel like there was... I mean, even as a kid, I loved it. I felt like there were these moments where Danny Rand was learning about a different world, you know? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think if they don't end up... I would love to see an Asian-American playing... Danny, but if they don't, I hope they'll go the way they did with Jessica Jones and just like head on deal with some of the racial inequality, appropriation, colonialism, and all that stuff. And I think Luke Cage's relationship to Danny could be part of that mm-hmm. potentially. Be interesting. Yeah, I mean, and they have the opportunity to introduce, you know, Misty Knight, and yep. we already got name drops um, White Tiger, Angela Del Toro, in like yeah. the first or second episode. So there's and like Shang Chi, oh my God, we could we could go all kinds of places. We could have a really diverse little cast for like a Defenders type show, which but would be so incredible. Like it so would be, yes. Oh man, but um, you know that's all in the future, and we can have hopes and dreams and all that jazz. <laughs> <laughs> so they're doing a good job, though. It feels really similar to how when they started building the movie part of the universe. Uh, when it started really taking off and they were doing a good job, that they were being so careful to put the pieces in. And I feel that that's maybe not as much true. Like, I didn't feel that was true with Avengers 2. 
But it feels like they're doing that with these shows, which is kind of cool. It's fun. Definitely. Um, one of my... Okay, so when they when when I had a Jessica Jones show and we meet Luke Cage in like episode three or whenever it is that we they actually get together, I was really nervous because I I wanted a Jessica Jones show to succeed on Jessica Jones's merits, you know, and I was worried that we would get like a team up at the end, mm. you know, and that and that it would be like Jessica and Luke take out Kilgrave and maybe even Daredevil. Like and I was just worried I was worried about that because it's like can like Daredevil won on his own, right? And then how can how like it would just be sad to me if if it was Jessica and anyone else, you know. Um, even though I'm sure it would have been well choreographed and everything, right? I was like so I was I was very nervous. And I thought the way that they dispatched Luke and made it something that Jessica had to do on her own was was really great. Um, I really enjoyed just that really strong. This is Jessica's show at the end of the day, and Luke is a character in it. But it's you know the the conflict ultimately is up to her to resolve. Yeah, I think that was one of the one of my favorite things about it is because it was really it was really subtle. Like you didn't like you mentioned earlier, it was um, like we we weren't clued in to exactly what all of her powers were. Like, they just slowly peppered it in throughout episodes, what all she could do, what she was testing the limits on, etc. So um, I was also kind of worried that Daredevil was going to come in and they were going to team up and save the day, and I was not about that. But they they pretty firmly established Jessica as a strong character before Kilgrave and after Kilgrave. So, I don't know. I felt I felt it was a really good ending. Yeah. Well, was, oh, go ahead, Matt. Sorry. I was just gonna say it's kind of like the Gene Yang Superman, where we're like hearing a story we haven't heard before, in a lot of ways, because they put a woman at the center of it and they let it actually be her story. And what was the last superhero movie or TV show we had where the woman was the central character? Is it like Halle Berry's Catwoman? Like, was that really the last one? I didn't watch that. No, I didn't either. But I'm, I'm saying like. <laughs> I, there's just not a lot of examples. I mean, you have Wonder Woman back in the 70s. Elektra got her own movie, guys. Come oh, on. God. Oh, God. Right. I didn't see that Stop either. Stop it. You know, because that was part of the, well, it's just Daredevil and Elektra. Yeah. Yeah, so let me ask you guys, like, as you're working through the show, you know, they do the same thing in Jessica Jones they did in Daredevil where they hold off introducing you to the villain and you just get this, like, increasing amount of foreboding about him. But, you know, it becomes in, it became increasingly more clear, uh, I think, to a lot of people as you're watching the online chatter that, that Kilgrave was basically the personification of male privilege. Um, and I'm... I Could you guys just talk a little bit about how that how that hit you or when that kind of hit you or maybe how you felt working through that? Um, for me, a lot of it came from... Um, I, I started watching it a little bit later than everybody else on my feed. Um, I had some family things, but uh, one of the things I noticed was a lot of friends that had encountered uh, that had a little bit more of... Um, more aggressive form of male privilege. They had trouble continuing the show based on what they were seeing, which kind of let me know that it was hitting notes, whether it was really realistic or it was just Are you saying, too like, much. female friends who had encountered yeah, that female friends. Like triggering them? Oh. Yes, exactly. Wow. And there wasn't really any trigger warnings. Like, I mean, we all know going into these shows that they're going to be a little bit darker, a little bit rougher. But um, a lot of women on my feed had... Uh, had a lot of uh, second thoughts about continuing the show just because of how much it triggered certain events in their lives. And I was like, oh, wow. Um, I don't have anything in that in, in my particular life. So I watched, and I was like, I, a lot of it resonated. Like, of course, Kilgrave is meant to be this, um, I don't know, he was very, uh, I'm blanking on the word, but he's not necessarily an exaggerated like personification of all these male entitlement issues, but he... He is definitely somebody that I could see running into without the mind reading or the mind control. I don't even know yeah. if I call it mind control. It's more like a compulsion. But, um, yeah, like from the get-go, like a lot of the things that people were saying, especially when they started pull pulling in the uh, the survivors group, 
a lot of stuff that they were saying uh, like resonated with me, especially with like a lot of the commentary that's going on around the internet and stuff like that. As far as you know, what's complimenting a woman, what's not complimenting a woman, and stuff like that. It uh, definitely rang true, and I think Kilgrave, his his obliviousness to how he was and how he affected people, was just like really powerful. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't necessarily when he. When he said to Jessica that he can never be sure about people, I was like, I think you're lying. <laughs> like, I think you know. Like, I think you do know what you're doing on some level. And he, I, yeah, I agree. He he clearly knew, but I think it echoed just like Leo was saying. It echoed things I've heard from people in real life. Like, oh, I I didn't. You know, they're like, well, I didn't, I didn't realize that that's not what you wanted. And, you know, if I had known, of course, I wouldn't have done that. Or, oh, you're complaining now and you weren't complaining then. Like these kinds of like really horrible things where you're like, well, did you know? Or is that something you're saying to protect yourself? Like, are you lying to yourself? Are you lying to me? And that's what I got with this guy is like, he'll say whatever he needs to say for him to be the hero of the story. And that's the thing over and over. And that's what I've, the people who've hated the show that are like, this is really unfair the way it's representing white men, you know, something like that, <laughs> that uh, I think that's where they're coming from, right? Like, why is he not the central hero? Like, he he had a hard life. He didn't do anything wrong, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, he would, obviously, he did plenty wrong. Pretty <laughs> horrific. But, yeah, I think, there, I think there are people who stopped watching who were upset that Kilgrave was being cast as a villain. Totally. Yeah. I came across a couple of those people, like, uh, you know, people always want to talk about shows and stuff in the shop, and some people are like, yeah, I couldn't watch it, because I don't understand why Kilgrave was a bad guy, and I was like, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. He's so terrifying. So, and so that's, let me ask. That's what makes ask. you terrified of, of those people, right? Like, I mean. I mean, yeah, I kind of took a step back, and I was like, maybe you should do some self-reflection. <laughs> <laughs> when, when did you empathize with Kilgrave? Ever? Um, yes, actually. Um, when he invited her to come home, and he kind of presented it as a way like to win her love, and she had her guard up, and he he immediately he immediately destroyed that when he was talking about how how much trouble he went to to make her childhood home as I don't know, replicated as it was. Like that's just a whole different kind of creepy. Like, dude, if you want to make her fall in love with you, replicating her childhood home to the exact detail is probably not the way to go. <laughs> right. I wondered, you know, I wondered why buy the house with cash, like, instead of making them, right? Um, oh, he wanted it legally. Right, right. Um, I, well, where I think he, that's where we saw that maybe he didn't, he didn't understand everything, like, that's what I thought. Like he actually doesn't completely understand how human beings, how a human relationship works, because he's always just commanded for what he wanted. Yeah, I think where he lost me, because I was the same way. That was a, that was a moment where I felt really, I felt some empathy for him, and where he lost me was at the dinner table where he he was like, if Jessica tries to leave, poke your eyes out or whatever. You know, I was mm -hmm. like, okay, so <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, like, he's willing to do some things for her or to demonstrate his dedication to winning her over, but then he still has complete disregard for the innocent people, <laughs> you know what I mean, that yeah. aren't Jessica. Yeah, and, like, when when she's trying to rehabilitate him and he saves all those, he saves the house from the dad, you know, and everything, and he's he's so proud of himself, but it's like, like a child who doesn't, yes. not really proud about the right thing, you know? <laughs> That was actually, that was a really interesting episode because mm -hmm. it sets you up to think that maybe, maybe she's going to go, yeah, I'm going to sacrifice myself to help this guy become a superhero. Like, it's going to mm -hmm. be a redemption story about him in some sense. And and what was that, wasn't that episode called WWJJD? Yeah. Yes. What would Jessica do or what would, yeah, Jessica Jones do? And yeah. And then at the very end, when she flips it all and says, yeah, that's not what's happening here. Clearly, that's not what's happening here. That's not where we're going. It was this, it wasn't a surprise, really, because I was shocked she was going along with it. But I could see that that's where the story goes a lot of times. Like, 
uh, uh, the um, what? Oh, what are those books? The Shades of Grey books? Yeah, Fifty Shades of Grey. The the girl is going to come in and she's going to put up with some crap and she's going to redeem him. Mm -hmm. Like, he's an old creepy user, but she's going to somehow make him beautiful. (laughs) And and that's a story we see all the time. So I was like, well, if that's where the story goes, they're doing a great job with it. And then to turn it on its head at the end of the episode was just masterfully done. And I really enjoyed it. I was like, oh, that's way better. It was yeah. definitely different. Matt, I think it was the article you found from the Mary Sue that said that the the larger problem with the way people have been responding to Kilgrave is that like quote unquote reformed abuser trope in American fiction. And it's yeah, yeah Twilight, the Fifty Shades books, like all these places where you have a you have a man who's doing terrible things, but because he's the man, he gets to be the hero, and so a woman serves basically only as his vehicle of redemption, right? And that's like the role she plays in the story. And often, as you said, she plays that role by actually taking all of his abuse until he figures out that she loves him so much he should stop, you know? And right. that's, like, super jacked up. Like, that that's not okay in any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> right. Well, and I think it's partly a problem of the vehicle of fiction, right? Fiction always leans toward transformation, toward change. Redemption is so often a theme. That's not a bad thing. It's a beautiful thing. But when you have the same people telling the stories over and over, and obviously I'm a white man who writes, uh, it's really easy for the white men, good or evil, to become the people that you want to see changed in the story. And so many of the stories we've heard, that's what they're about. Well, not just that. You probably also get a lot of, I guess, the white male demographic um, wondering where their chance at redemption is. They can do so much bad stuff, but, you know, at some point, somewhere, someone's going to redeem them and deliver them from their sins. Yeah. And I think that becomes a problem as well. Like, not yeah. necessarily just in fiction. Yeah, yeah, that's true. This idea that, yeah, no matter how bad I get, there's always a way out in the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and we saw that in Kilgrave, right? Like, he really thought, you know, Whatever happens, he's going to walk away at the end. And that's I mean, that was actually it's actually a really interesting insight. Like, uh, there, there was that whole scene where he was so mad at being told he was raping Jessica in the past, and he was just so angry about it. Like, it just he couldn't wrap his mind around it. Yeah, but, yeah, and he was like, "I hate that word." It's yeah, like, and it's like, why? Because it's what you're doing. What like, you, you have did? to take responsibility. Yeah, uh, and I think it's great. I don't know. What about that? Let's talk about that last... Obviously, we've just been talking totally spoiler-free. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't even explain what the show is about. Um, but uh, let's talk about that last episode where the final... What, what, How did you guys feel about that final encounter between them, like kind of the climactic moment of the, of the series there? Um, I'm going to... Uh... If we're not really doing spoilers, um, yeah, no, all all spoilers, all spoilers. I think her breaking his neck and just ending it is refreshing. Um, but I'm also not 100% convinced it couldn't have been done a different way. Like I don't have any suggestions. (laughs) I'm not a screenwriter, and um, I liked, (laughs) and I like, I I like how it ended. It left a certain a note of finality to it. Like you know, we don't ever see that with Batman and the Joker. He doesn't ever kill anybody. Right. It was, it was refreshing, and I feel that maybe it was something that she personally, that particular character, needed to do to gain 100% complete closure on that event in her life. Well, and. I mean, I knew that that was where it was going once um, Hope died. I mean, literally, right? I mean, you you call a character Hope, and then Hope Hope dies. So, and and her dying words are, avenge me, basically, right? So you're like, okay, well, there's nowhere else this is going. Um, You know, thematically... Again, if 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 Kilgrave is a metaphor for white privilege, I'm fine with with male white privilege dying, um, yeah, in in a pretty decisive way, and that's that's where the that's where the tension of the storytelling and the fiction and the allegory all kind of <laughs> rub against each other. Um, there's Matt. Why don't you tell us some of the other ways you you could have envisioned it ending? 
Well, I think that was the place for me that was... I'm fine with the ending, but I didn't feel super satisfied either. Like, I wanted... I didn't want... In some ways, I feel like he got off easy, like just dying. Uh... And I understand that's where I felt like it was it was leaning toward the thematic more than the character because I I wanted Jessica to to destroy him to remove all influence from his life and show him that he didn't matter in a way that would leave him in the world still because I think that's where a lot of women have to they they don't get to go break the necks of the people who've done things to them uh, and I realize in some sense it moves I guess toward you know, this fantasy world that we all love about comics of justice coming in this really dramatic way uh, in these situations. But yeah, I, I think the whole last episode I was like, oh, you know, suddenly we're wearing earphones to try and drown out his voice and no one thought of that before. Like, that would have been the first thing I thought when someone was like, this guy can control you with your voice, his voice. I'd be like, I'm pouring hot wax in my ears, like putting <laughs> cotton over it. I'm befriending deaf persons. He doesn't know sign language. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but then, yeah. So there were a couple things there that I was like, "Gosh, I wish you." I almost wish they just hadn't even thought of it. Like, I think that would have been better. But then I'm like, "Well, couldn't they have just cut the guy's tongue out? Like that would it would have been gory and horrible, but it would have also completely disempowered him and left him in a place that he has to live with himself for the rest of his life. You know, without his power. But I don't know." Yeah, so I wasn't completely satisfied. I wasn't mad or anything. I still loved it. I still thought it was great. I wasn't like, oh, that was definitely the wrong thing to do. But I didn't feel yeah. completely satisfied either. It would have been interesting to see him like in a cell condemned to like watch videos of of the support group like over and over and over. So he has to just like sit powerless and hear the stories of his victims. Or honestly, like that, right? if she could have found a way to like depower him, I realize that leaves him in play for the future, but it is sort of a neutering thing. And I don't think that would have been a bad ending at all, to neuter him. That would have been awesome. I don't know. I feel like it would just kind of, not necessarily keep the whole reformed abuser thing alive, but uh, just that there's... That's a good point. There's some there's some way to keep him from hurting people without killing him. You know, like he doesn't yeah. deserve to die. So right, well, he definitely deserved to die. And I think <laughs> you saw he did so many horrible things that not killing him might have been dissatisfying too. Honestly, so Unless you, yeah. Spoilers for Dexter. The whole show of Dexter was here's a serial killer who's killing multiple people every season. So I mean, hundreds of people probably by the end of the series, mm-hmm. and the series ends with, and so at the beginning of the sh- at the beginning of the series. He says, I'm a monster who pretends to be human. And basically, the the long arc of the whole series is that by the end of the series, he has learned to become human. Like, he actually genuinely cares for other people in a way that would lead him to give his life for these other people. His sister, his son, this woman that he loves. And in the end... All of those people are taken away from him in various ways. And he ends up, like, isolated and alone. And I thought it was a beautiful ending because death would have been the easy way out for him. Like, it was, it, was, it was a worse punishment for him to have to have finally got what he always wanted, but it, like, cost him everything. And so I think in a similar way with Kilgrave, like, I kind of agree with what you said, Matt. Like, death was, death was the easy punishment for him. And it would have been interesting not to see him redeemed but to see him, like, live live in a way that he's not powerful and just have to, like, have to learn what it's like to be at the mercy of other people. Like, that, to me, seems like a much worse punishment for someone like him. Yeah, I think it, I, yeah, obviously it's complex. You build this whole thing and say, we're going to, probably anywhere you go, someone's going to love and hate the ending because... Mm-hmm. You're trying to solve a problem that we haven't solved over the course of thousands of years uh, in human interaction. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, man. Yeah, I mean, again, the and he's dead. That's great. That's fine. <laughs> um, it, it, it is a little sad that, you know, we Kingpin's still in play, right? Like, we're going to see him again. Oh, absolutely. Um, we're not going to see Kilgrave again. Like, well, well, I Kingpin's, mean, to be fair... Kingpin's getting a second season, isn't he? 
Yes, from what I understand. But Kingpin <laughs> also has like this giant legacy, whereas Kilgrave in the comics was literally purple-skinned and had purple children, and it was just a weird, <laughs> weird fair time enough. in comics. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> so, I mean... I assumed he would only be a season-long thing, um, but honestly, I did expect him to be like in an insane asylum without his powers or something. I was not expecting him to be murdered. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, ooh, and I, I really, I really liked. Uh, you know, we weren't sure if, I, at least I wasn't. I wasn't sure that she was immune still. Yeah, yeah. Well, that you was know, that, that was part of the last scene. Can we talk about that real quick? Because sure. everybody seems like really confused as to how that happened and how she just kind of like built up this tolerance to him and stuff. And really? yeah, like a lot of people I talked to, and I was like, you know, I'm not sure how that came about either. And then as I rewatched it, I was kind of, I was kind of wondering, like, there's a, there's a scene where he tells her you can choose. So I'm wondering if that's the compulsion that she can choose to listen to him, or not to listen to him. I oh. took it. I took it as when she killed. Uh, Luke Cage's wife, like that, snapped something in her brain. That's that's how I took it too. That he pushed her to do something so far outside. Not like everything else wasn't, but that was like the final straw that like broke her, so that she was like, "Yeah, that's it. I'm not doing what you say anymore." Because oh, that's, see, I like he, that better. Well, because he's screaming, "Stop!" And she won't. Like she's walking away, and then he gets hit by the bus. What an idiot. And then, and then I love that she doesn't realize she's immune until he escapes from the cage and she's got a hold of him and he says, let go, and she doesn't. And they both look at each other and they're like, they're both like, oh crap, but for totally different reasons, you know? Like, that was like, <laughs> oh man, it was so good. Well, I think that that hits the, um, for those who are survivors of abuse, I think a lot of them have that story that moment when they realized that they somehow had managed to get enough power to get away somewhere. Yeah. Um, and it didn't matter anymore what the other person said or did or what. Well, like they, it might matter. They're still terrifying. They're still after them. They're still out there. But there was a moment where they realized that they had the strength somewhere, somehow, to break out of some piece of it, that they had yeah. kind of etched out a world that they had some some agency still. Yeah. God. All right. Well, I can't believe they did a show that deals with all this stuff. It's crazy. That's the part that is astounding to me is that all of these things that I have been reading about and having conversations about at like academic levels and on blogs and all that kind of stuff, like we got a comic book show about it, and, and it was actually and awesome. good and it was entertaining. <laughs> it was dealing with really horrible, difficult things, and it was still. I mean, it wasn't always enjoyable. There were definitely times that I was not having a good time with what was happening for sure, on the screen, but it was still compelling entertainment. Yeah, I, I agree. So, okay, we're, we're out of time. Uh, final thoughts? Any final thoughts on Jessica Jones? Either of you? I'm glad that they changed stuff around a little bit from the Alias books to the show. Like I, I think I mentioned it prior in the show. I'm glad that they kept her strong before and after Kilgrave. Like, when we had the flashbacks with, um, with Patsy, some of my favorite parts. Like, it just it built how strong their friendship is, and I love that. I love that it was about their friendship just as much as it was about her struggle with Kilgrave. Yeah, I, I would just say, you know, supposedly the word entertainment comes from this Greek idea of to entertain or to inform with delight, supposedly is what it means in Greek. And I think that's what this did. And I, if you're listening <clears throat> and you've had questions about uh, feminism, gender roles, uh, yeah, rape culture. If you've heard some of those things and been like, gosh, I don't understand it. Uh, I don't understand why that's a big deal or why people talk about it or I disagree with the idea. I think this is a show you could watch and learn about those things without having to sit and learn about those things, if that makes sense. And if it's hard to watch, I would just say stick it through to the end and, and think about those feelings. Well, like Leia said earlier, it might be good to have some reflection time. Why do different things about it upset or uh, terrify or feel weird as you watch it? Yeah, I, I would say that for me as a white male, it helped me better understand and empathize with the emotional experience of women 
who talk about these issues. So I would I would consider myself like a feminist and an ally in these kinds of issues. Yeah. Um, I, I believe there is such a thing as rape culture and that it's bad yep. and that we yep. need to do something about it. all of those things. But at the end of the day, I don't experience it at all because I'm a white man. Like, I'm the guy, I don't have to, like, hold my keys between my middle fingers. I'm walking to my car in a parking garage and all, all those kinds of things. And so I would say, like, yeah, if, if like, Matt, to echo Matt, if this is confusing for you, this show can help you connect emotionally. And I will say, I have not read a single review from a, a female perspective that's like, you know, this show is just, like, a little overblown. Like, it's, it's kind of making a mountain out of a molehill. Like, everyone I've read is saying, no, like, this show, it really gets it. Like, the tone is right. And so if 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 you have a hard time believing that, uh, again, just overemphasize, like, <laughs> listen to the people that experience it. Don't assume that your experience is normative. Um, and, and this is a great entry point for that conversation emotionally. I mean, yeah, again, it doesn't, like, it doesn't trot these out and put them on a whiteboard and draw you diagrams. Uh, you can get all of that. There's plenty of great resources out there for that. But this show, at least for me, I think really helped me understand, like, the fear that I felt regarding Kilgrave is, like, a legitimate fear that most people who are not the same gender as I do experience. I think, JR, you and I talked about that at one point. We were talking about how, t you know, neither of us had finished it yet. We are talking about, oh, my gosh, he's, like, the most terrifying villain ever. And then there was a woman on social media who said, I don't know why everyone's saying he's the most terrifying, you know, villain ever. I know this guy. Like, I know a bunch of guys like this. I've been Jesus. <laughs> And that's where I was like, oh, okay, so the emotion I'm experiencing right now is something a lot of people experience in their everyday life. Like, I don't have control. That other person does. I don't see how to, you know, even approach Escape, them to stop yeah. them or get yeah. out. And I, so that was, like, that was insightful for me. Like, all the stuff you're saying, Jared, to go like, oh, gosh, okay. Okay, good. So how do I be the I don't know the Luke Cage in the story? <laughs> like, yeah, or something. Anyone can help. Yeah. yeah, how do I help? Yeah. So there we go. Okay. So uh, I am certain by now, even if you don't live in the Dallas area, you want to connect with our guest Leia Calderon. Leia, where is the best place to connect with you online? Um, through Twitter. I'm pretty active most of the time. I'm, I'm on hiatus until probably. Probably Friday afternoon. Like, I have to watch Star Wars at least twice before I let myself get on the internet again. You're not going to lie to me? No, not at all. Oh, my God. <laughs> my eyes are meant for the screen alone. But, um, <laughs> 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 but if you have Twitter, uh, you can follow me. It's at LadyVader99. Um, it's generally either late-night tweets about what I'm eating, what I'm watching, uh, the comics as I read them, and usually some thoughts on feminism as well. Nice. But... Um, yeah, at LadyVader99, there's no spaces, no underscores. Or you can catch my writing uh, on my blog, which is sub-culture.com. Um, I don't post very often because I'm usually doing back-end stuff. But when I do, it usually has to do with comics and or feminism. <laughs> awesome. uh, we'll put links to all those in the show notes at storyman.us, or you can find them at facebook.com slash thestoryman. Again, thank you so much to our guest, Leia Calderon. Let us know what you thought of Jessica Jones. Or, or what comics you're reading right now, if you have some good recommendations for us. Uh, this has been Storyman episode 113. It's our last episode before Christmas. So uh, from all of us here and Clay, uh, who will be back next time, Merry Christmas. We have some more great guests lined up in the new year that you'll be excited for. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, peace be with you. It's like basically the worst possible episode to put up before Christmas. Yeah.